Good evening, Tony G Nation. We have a big show planned for you today. Uh, we're going to be recapping the Super Bowl. We're going to be recapping the NFL award winners, the season award winners. And then we're going to go over the Hall of Fame, the newest list of inductees. It's going to be a big show. It's going to be a good show today. I'm your host, Tony G. With me, as always, the Joy Taylor to my Colin Coward, the peanut butter to my jelly. Can I think of any other ones? I think that kind of covers it. Will McCormick. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, but how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Good to hear. I am doing great. Tuesday. Yeah, yes. Uh, Tuesday. This is, uh, you hear this, Will? This is episode number 90 of the Tony G Show. 90. Oh, boy. We're, we're in the home stretch. I mean, this is, un- I, I'm getting chills, man. I can't yeah. believe it. We're inching closer to 100 episodes and man, oh man, Will and I were going to be sending out some emails here and there. I just can't wait. I mm-hmm. can't wait for it. It'll be fun. It'll be great. 100 episodes coming up of the Tony G Show. Okay. I want to get one thing off my chest here. We're going to be talking, as I mentioned, about the NFL today. And it's just kind of a recap over the weekend, you know, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 55, Chiefs, Buccaneers. I said that we were going to be talking about a little quarterback shuffle action around the NFL today. We're going to push that to Thursday. Okay, that's going to be in Thursday's episode of the Tony G Show. Today is all uh, Super Bowl preview. Here's the fun thing we're doing. We're going to be previewing the Super Bowl. And we know that the Buccaneers won it. We know that Tom Brady got his seventh ring. Unbelievable. His seventh Super Bowl win in 10 attempts, in 10 appearances in the Super Bowl. So here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be doing seven takeaways from Super Bowl 55. What do you think? A little like seven it. action? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. Okay. Okay, good. I wanted your approval, so I'm yeah. glad I got that now. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. We'll do something <laughs> else. Never mind. All right. So before we get into that, Tony G Show, as always, drops Tuesday, Thursday, on wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Also... On Twitter at Willis5312 is the man Will McCormick. At Tony G Show is me. Catch me there. The Tony G Show on Twitter. Let us know what you think about the show, what you want to see, this, that, and the other thing. All right, Will. You ready to get going? Big episode? Oh, yeah. All right. I'm ready. Tony G Show, episode 90, coming your way. my friend what do you say we get going i'm just trying to make you laugh when we're doing these live yeah i know because we were looking like right at each other yeah and i mean like mics were hot and everything yeah mics were hot we couldn't laugh or nothing like that and there goes will mccormick making funny faces whatever will (laughs) all right big show today let's recap the super bowl we're gonna do seven takeaways for seven rings of tom brady what do you think that's a cute little Mm tie-in seven takeaways from Super Bowl 55, we know the Buccaneers won 31 to nine. Super Bowl 55 champions were the Buccaneers. So technically, do I win the prediction? Let's go over our predictions. I, I said 38-33, the Chiefs win. Mm-hmm. I was close in terms of the Bucks score. I think I was closer. You, I mean, in a way, were you I predicted, it and it was on the spot too. It was on the fly. You predicted Buccaneers over Chiefs, 14 to 10. Mm-hmm. I was off by a point. Yeah. 
when they kicked that third field goal, I was like, all right, two safeties. <laughs> yep. Yep. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, you were close uh, around halftime, too. Yeah. I think you almost nailed it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, regardless, not, I think, what anyone expected. The Buccaneers, I mean, it, it was a it was a thrashing of the yeah. Chiefs. If you look through some of the tape, and we're going to get into that here right away. The first takeaway, the first of seven takeaways that I have from Super Bowl 55. Takeaway number one is the Buccaneers have the most dominant front seven in the NFL. Will and I kind of had this discussion on Thursday, and I think it was very prevalent in Super Bowl 55. We're going to be going over some of the numbers, you know, some of those front seven guys that were rushing Patrick Mahomes. But remember the stat I threw out last Thursday. We saw it against Green Bay when Tampa Bay faced Green Bay twice this season, regular season, postseason. Aaron Rodgers was sacked 25 times this season. That's it. Very good. But 10 of those 25 sacks came against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we saw that very same effect on Sunday night in the Super Bowl. Ndamukong Sue, a sack and a half, two quarterback hits. Shaq Barrett, a sack, four quarterback hits. Cam Gill, half sack, and that Ndamukong Sue sack and a half, and a quarterback hit. Devin White, an interception. I mean, it's the most dominant front seven Mm -hmm. in the NFL. Pat Mahomes was running for his life. I mean, if you look over some of the tape, some of the footage of Super Bowl 55, you kind of see that. Especially in that second half, though, when I don't know what Todd Bowles said to his defense, his front seven. But Patrick Mahomes, every every play was dropping back and immediately trying to get out of the pocket. Flushed out of the pocket immediately. The pocket collapsed right at the snap. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, this kind of tells the importance, you know, of, of winning the trenches. I know that's something that's kind of a... Well, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that that's a stereotypical uh, analogy or whatever you want to call it for the NFL, but... Yeah, it's cliche. Yeah, It is kind of cliche, but it, there's some truth to it, too, because if you Absolutely. look at the Chiefs, I mean, they had some injuries on their offensive line, yep. um, but really they didn't bring in a lot of big names or they, you know, they're not, they don't have a lot of guys that they're, that they're grooming right now. Um, and they kind of got burned. Yeah. And I think this, this has been a trend all season for the Kansas city chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes has been pressured a lot all season Mm -hmm. and especially in the super bowl. When I said he was running for his life, literally, okay, maybe not literally for his life, but here's what I mean. The statisticians that were on the game found out that Patrick Mahomes ran for 497 yards while evading pass rushers. Oh, 500 yards. That almost needs to be a stat included for, yeah. for players from now yeah. on. For quarterbacks, quarterbacks how, how how many yards did they run evading pass rushers? I think call them EY, evasive yards. Evasive, <laughs> evasive yards. I, I think we're on to something. Let's send an email to Roger Goodell after We'll trademark show. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Evading... So evade yards, 497 of them for Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, it was kind of the perfect storm, right? Because Mahomes came in with that turf toe injury. He has to get surgery on it. Um, You know, that news story broke that after the season concluded, Patrick Mahomes was going to be getting toe surgery on his turf toe. And it came out today, actually, side note here, that he's coming to Dr. Robert Anderson, I believe is his name. And he is based in Green Bay, I believe. South Ridge Road, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Cool. Yep. So Patrick Mahomes is coming to Wisconsin to get his turf toe looked at. But, I mean, back to the Super Bowl and what it meant. The guy was injured Mm foot-wise. The guy was flushed out of the pocket seemingly every play. He had to 
extend plays every time he threw the ball. Every time. And I mean, they and and he made some plays too. I mean, like that uh, oh. that throw he made where he was like falling. Yeah. Can you imagine if that was completed? By the way, it it should have been. I mean, it it hit Tyreek in the face, man. Right in the face, but. I mean, he was like falling. It was like yeah. it was like a, a dive throw. Like, like there's like, only. It's like a throw you make if you're like at the beach with a couple friends. Right. You know what I mean? You, his feet were literally not underneath him. No, he was. He like, was like sideways. He was horizontal yeah. when he threw the ball. Yeah. And it was a good throw, spiral, right to Tyreek, but it was kind of. You know, in traffic. Yeah, there was so like So Tyreek five. didn't get the best hands on it and hit him right in the face mask. Right. There was like, what, five defenders around him, maybe four. Yeah. So that's I mean, not just doing what catch. he could. And the right. play before that even, I mean, he was kind of falling over and he kind of lobbed it up. I mean, the guy is unbelievably athletic. Mm-hmm. But still, the fact that Tampa Bay had that much control over him, had that much say in the passing game for the, for the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, they took away everything. Yeah, and something that we mentioned in the last show, too, was that we wanted to see whether the Chiefs' speed or the Buccaneers' kind of monotonous play style was more prevalent. Yeah. And I think that as soon as the Buccaneers got ahead first, it was like the Chiefs were art. They're, they're playing like they were defeated right away, and it was kind of like they took that speed away and they slowed down. And they were trying to play fast, but it just yeah. they got burned on a, on a couple plays, and then it's like... It's hard to come back from that, especially when you're playing kind of not nervous, but like from behind. You have to be playing catch up. And, yeah, and and in the Chiefs' play style too is kind of like those RPOs, you know. And, and yep. if, if you don't get motions, this yeah, if you, if you throw a little bubble pass and you only get a yard off of it, you're setting yourself up for a tough second down, and especially when you're losing, that makes it even worse. So we were kind of right on that discussion yeah. about speed versus uh, rhythm. Back to that first takeaway that we're talking about here. And we got to wrap it up because we have six more takeaways to get to, but I just want to throw out some numbers. The the most dominant front seven in the NFL, I don't think there's another front seven that comes close to this, that has this much control over a Super Bowl team, a team that's defending the Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes, one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the NFL, held a 26 of 49, 270 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 50 a passer rating of 52.3. I mean, substandard numbers for Patrick Mahomes. And this was like the first time the Chiefs hadn't scored a touchdown in I don't even know how many games. I mean, their de- their offense was completely shut down by the yeah. front seven. Yeah. So let's move on to takeaway number two. Chiefs had no game plan for Gronk. And this was something that was prevalent from the get-go. Gronk finished the game with six receptions, 67 yards, two touchdowns. In that Week 12 matchup, Chiefs-Buccaneers, Gronk again, the leading receiver, six receptions, 106 yards. You have to know that at this point in the season, going for another Super Bowl, Tom Brady is going to be using that security blanket that he has in Rob Gronkowski. You have to know it. Mm -hmm. You have to have a game plan for that. And the Chiefs looked like they were completely caught off guard by it. Yeah. That can't happen. You have to plan for that. If you're going to lose... Because Mike Evans beats you, then you lose because Mike Evans beats you. Right. One of the best receivers in the league. If you lose because that two-headed monster out of the backfield, Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones beat you, you lose because of that. But you do not let Rob Gronkowski beat you and Tom Brady beat you when they've won so many Super Bowls together. Well, You have to know this is going to be the game plan for Tom Brady. Right. And and Gronk's not like, like you said, he's not 
a crazy fast weapon. It's not like he's, you know, he, he's a big man and he's hard to cover yep. because he's big. But hard to tackle too. Right. But if you throw you throw a body on him, you have somebody in his face. You have. It seemed like half the time there was nobody really even contesting. Right. And here's the thing. It's kind of a mismatch. How it usually ends up with tight ends who line up at the line of scrimmage the way Gronk does so often is it'll be a linebacker lining up against him. Mm-hmm. And that's immediately a mismatch because Gronk is bigger than half the linebackers that yep. are in the league. So you have to put more than that. Maybe a linebacker and a safety or maybe have a co- corner cover him even though corners aren't that big. You have to figure out a plan to isolate him. It's been done in the past. But you cannot let, let Tom Brady and Robert Gronkowski beat you. I do have a quick stat here before we move on to the third takeaway. Gronk joins Dan Ross, and Gronk is the only tight ends with two receiving touchdowns in a Super Bowl. Again, I mentioned he had the the six of 67, two touchdowns in, in Super Bowl Sunday, just this past Sunday. But also Super Bowl 53, that loss to the Eagles, 41-33 the loss. 116 yards and two touchdowns. How about this Dan Ross cat? You ever heard of him, Will? I have not. Dan Ross, 104 yards, two touchdowns for the Cincinnati Bengals in the 26-21 loss to the 49ers in Super Bowl 16. The year? 1982. Just a cool stat I found. Uh, so I figured I'd throw mm-hmm. that in there. You know Tony G does his homework. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, takeaway number three. Tom Brady played about the best that you can play. For all we talked about in... In the game he played in the NFC Championship, three picks. And for the age that he's at, 43, against a good defense in the Kansas City Chiefs, he played about the best that you can play. He had an interception totally robbed from him, though, I will say. That sure. Was, you, you can't tell me that, you know. Yeah, the, the, I think it was Tyron Matthew. and the, Yeah, that he, like, tapped the Mike Evans' legs and it was called for whatever it was. Here's the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't the officiating games. wasn't the best. There have been better officiated games. And That's we're going to get most. to that in the um, takeaway coming up here in, I think, about the fifth takeaway. But that's not the point. Tom Brady did play about as best as you can play. 21-29, 201 yards, three touchdowns, a passer rating of 125.8, which is, by the way, the ninth highest passer rating in by a quarterback in the 55 Super Bowls that have been played. The ninth highest. I mean, that's about as best as you can. What more do you want out of him at that age going against this defense in a new team, in a new um, uh, system is the word I'm looking for. In the new system, new team, new talent around him, new organization, new division. And we're going to get to that also in uh, another take or two, so I better stop mentioning all that. But, I mean, honestly, you can't play any better if you're Tom Brady. So that's my third takeaway from Super Bowl 55 is Tom Brady, as, as I said, played about as best as you could possibly play. My fourth takeaway, takeaway number four, Bruce Arians, it started to emerge to me, Bruce Arians was the perfect coach for this team. He kind of provided that attitude, the the mindset that you need if you have this much talent, this much experience, if you're kind of old, older uh, talent-wise, you know, you're not the youngest team out there, but you do have stars that are young, you know, Winfield and such. He provided that you want it, go get it attitude. You know, he's not a BSer. He's more of a straightforward type of character. Um, he's not going to lie to you. He's not going to sugarcoat things. I remember the quote he had early in the season. I think it was after a loss. He said, well, you guys, referring to the media, you guys were ready to crown us the Super Bowl champions in August. And it doesn't work that way. So he provided that same sort of message and mentality to his team 
prior to this season and throughout this season. I think it was just the the most perfect fit that you could have for this team. Again, Bruce Arians is experienced in his own right, and he knows how to manage the talent that was on this roster to a T that you needed. And so it started to emerge to me, you know, as I'm watching the Super Bowl, man, Bruce Arians has done a heck of a job, and I don't think enough people are talking about it because the narrative, of course, is Tom Brady, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it's going to be, it should be, seven Super Bowls, ten appearances, and that's, of course, going to be the narrative. But no one, I think, is talking about the job Bruce Arians has done in Tampa Bay. That's about, a, that's about as impressive of a job as you can do as, as a head coach with this type of talent in this setting, I mean, able to manage the media narrative around Tom Brady coming to Tampa Bay, leaving New England. I mean, it was it, it was just perfect. It was the perfect fit. Yeah, and I'd almost argue that uh, coaching ability is probably the second most important thing you could have on a team. Um, obviously, player talent is important because you can't coach what you don't have. Right. right. Um, but I think it's also it's it is important, like you said, to have somebody who can who can inspire and and. Uh, I mean, he's ready, a straightforward be, character. Yeah, 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 and be ready for a challenge. You know, like like you said, he he kind of like every, everyone kind of already assumed we we're gonna win, and yeah. that's not the case. And it's it's good to have a humble mindset like that. Yep. Especially for a coach to have a humble and just driving mindset. It's, yep. Yeah. I mean, he was able to get the players to buy in, and right. I mean, like I said, it's just a job that I don't think anyone or not enough people are talking about. Jeff right. Bruce Arians did. Right. Fifth takeaway from the Super Bowl: We have this one, and then two more to get to. I think the frustration was obvious from Kansas City from the get-go, right? From, I don't want to say from kickoff, but after the first, second drive, you know, it started with, I think, two punts from each team. And then, of course, there was that that early Chris Jones kind of bonehead penalty, pushing and shoving. And, of course, the Tyron Matthew and Tom Brady jawing that went on. It just kind of seemed that Kansas City wasn't in the right mindset. They didn't have that winner mentality they were kind of playing from behind as we mentioned earlier and they kind of let their their emotions show that you know they didn't look like the most impressive team out Mm -hmm. there play-wise but especially what spoke to me was their decision making was their professional attitudes that they had out on the field I didn't see much emotionally from them as I wanted to they didn't seem like they were as bought in as they needed to be the Chiefs they were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, oh, the Buccaneers and shooting themselves oh. in the foot. I get you. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It just doesn't seem like they were really helping themselves emotionally. They didn't have the right energy on the sideline. Right, because there's, I guess that could, you could, you know, some, some individuals don't want to get too worked up. Right. So you could, you could, you know, give it that reason. But I agree with you that it did seem kind of like they were, I'd be, like, freaking out. <laughs> they just weren't in the right mindset. Right. And, again, this kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier. This is where I'm going to tie in the referee. They weren't getting the most help from the refs. It wasn't the best officiated game. No. But the Chiefs did not look like a Super Bowl team emotionally on Sunday. Energy-wise on Sunday. They did not have what they needed to in their heads to win that game. Right from the get-go, it was obvious to me. I would almost argue that was, like, the fifth worst officiated game this season. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that was like... It's starting to seem like there's a trend. Like, there's some yeah. inconsistencies going on that needs to get tended to in the NFL. I mean, all throughout the league, mm-hmm. there's just some calls, there's some decision-makings, there's... Like, why not bring back that, you know, pass interference review? Because there were a couple... It's just like, come on, like, take a look at it. 
you know, I understand it in, in the heat of the moment, definitely looks like pass interference. But it's like, yeah, it's especially, but it, I mean, like, that's been a trend all season. Right. But if we have the technology, why would we not use it? I agree. I agree. I don't, I, I, it's that, hard that, to talk about because, you know, that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all judgment calls well, and it's by a, a team it's a of humans. It's a double edged sword, too. It's a what? It's a double edged sword, too. I mean, right. if, if you're on the receiving end, you're like, well, that's the game. Yep. Yep, and if you're on the other, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's obviously two sides to it, and it's a hard thing to kind of reverse and to look into. But, I mean, the inconsistencies throughout the entire season it just seemed like there was a lot of missed calls mm-hmm. or a lot a lot of calls when there shouldn't have been calls. I mean, it's... Right. And the one thing I want to get tended to, we're kind of getting uh, sidetracked here in the officiating, but I just want to mention this, and then we'll get back to it. I think holding penalties should not be 10 yards. It kills the drive. Defensive it kills the holding? momentum. Offensive holding. Offensive holding, yeah. Because it, it happens on every... What's the quote? There's holding on every play. It's just a matter of if it gets called or not. It pretty much is holding on every play. There is. Yeah. There is. Yeah. And so when it gets called 10 yards, now it's first and 20? Mm-hmm. Golly. I get you don't want it to happen. I get that you want... There's a penalty around it. But 10 yards to me is just... It kills the momentum of a drive. You know, a team yeah. could be pushing down the field, get into field goal range... You know, second and and five have a holding penalty. Now it's second and fifteen. Now you got to pass for two straight plays, and that's not a guarantee that you're in the field goal range. You know, it just kind of kills the momentum of a drive. Now all of a sudden you don't have points. There's a discussion for another day. I want to talk about sure. that with you. Yep. There's there's a there's a way to like that. There's a conversation to be had there. I'm just trying I to agree. think of how I want to say it because yep. there's a certain set of uh, occasions. Occasions is that the right word? certain set of circumstances that'll happen in a game where it's like, man, that really favors the offense. And I want to discuss that, but I need to think it through. I think so. maybe we'll, do, we should do that on Thursday. We'll do the quarterback shuffle. And mm-hmm. then the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Uh, changes that need to be made of officiating wise moving forward. All right. Let's get back to the action here. Takeaway number six, this one. And then one more. I've seen worse halftime shows. I don't agree with this statement at all. Really? Not you think that remotely. was that? Listen, I think he did what he had to do in regards to COVID. He couldn't have that much talent next to him. He couldn't be out on the field with fans around him. I get I, it. It was a little weird, and he kind of played his own storyline into mm-hmm. it. But I've seen worse. Remember I, the ba- the Black Eyed Peas? I was Super about to Bowl say. 45? I don't agree with what you were about to say in regard to the Black Eyed Peas. You like that My one? bad. I mean, didn't they have that thing where they had, uh, um, you know, their, their staff where the the lights and they spelled out different words and one was love and like half of the v and love wasn't working i don't i was 10 years old well i <laughs> I, I think that was the worst super bowl time super bowl of all time and i did a little research into opinions about this opinionated articles about the worst super bowl and it was consistent that the black eyed peas were the worst really i don't think this was that bad i don't think it was no, that this bad one, no this one wasn't that bad i'm i was saying in regard to the black eyed peas cuz that wasn't my least favorite right but still, people on Twitter were yeah saying that this was a bad halftime show. And I've seen worse. Yeah, I mean, what? And it's it a concert. What do you want to see? Right. I mean, it's not going to be a perfect audio. The halftime shows are always. You, you're not going to win. No. You're really not no. because no matter what the artist is, there's there's going to be people who don't like that artist. I mean, what is it though? Like, what? Why, why do people not like it? Like, let's talk about this one in particular. Why do people not like the Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah, I don't show? know. <laughs> it wasn't like the singing was bad. Or the music was bad. I mean, it was like, you know, they're... I mean, it's an in-person concert caught on TV. How good do you think the audio is going to be? Right. You know? And I get it. It was kind of confusing with all the people running around in that mirror sort of stage. And 
I get it. It's it was a little hard to follow. It's a supposed little... to be artistic. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to see the message. It's not supposed to... All right. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I've seen worse halftime shows. All right. The seventh and final takeaway from Super Bowl 55. And, I mean, it has to be said. Nobody wins like Tom Brady wins. Seven rings, ten Super Bowl appearances. And he got the seventh ring, and I mentioned some of these stats earlier, in his first season with the Buccaneers. In his first season in the NFC. In his first season in a new system with a new head coach, new talent around him, besides Gronk, I reiterate, nobody wins like Tom Brady wins. More Super Bowl rings, the seven rings he has, than any other franchise. Franchise, team, organization in the NFL. Nobody can win like Tom Brady wins. I mean, say what you want about talent, and I think there's something to be said here. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the GOAT discussion. Aaron Rodgers is definitely more talented. Patrick Mahomes is more athletic. And I'm not putting him in the GOAT conversation just yet. I'm not, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> nobody wins like Tom Brady can win. And, I mean, Bruce Arians kind of attributed the winning ability of, of this Buccaneers team to Tom Brady and his leadership. And it kind of brings out that perspective that I think not many people are taking into account. You know, everyone says he's a great leader, and that's why he's a winner. But what does that mean? If he sees something in the defense, and this was, you know, I'm paraphrasing Bruce Arians here after the game. If he sees something with the defense, he'll give a little bit of input on what he sees, what they can improve. You know, he's thinking about the defense. He's thinking about the whole team. He's not just thinking about him. He's not just thinking about his offense. He's thinking about the whole team. What can we do to win? And, you know, you always see him getting fiery on the sidelines and make about that what you will. But you cannot take this away from Tom Brady. Nobody can win like he does. It's remarkable. It is remarkable the way that he wins football games. How many football games he's won. Mm-hmm. you you got to give kudos to his team, too. I mean, his team oh, yeah. is absolutely packed with yep. with stars. But and, I mean, I think there's something to be said about that, too. Oh, his yeah. front office ability. Yeah, I mean he's not he hasn't spent a season employed in a front office, but you can just see it. Goes to Tampa Bay and says, "I want this guy, this guy, this guy, and we're going to win a Super Bowl." Mm-hmm. And he goes and does it. Well, a lot of people come to him because they want to win a ring. I, I would agree. That's, I that's, would agree. Um, if I ever hear somebody say Tom Brady doesn't have any weapons, I think I'll fight him. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, he's spent seasons where he's won Super Bowls or gone to the Super Bowl with a guy like Chris Hogan or James White as his running back. And James White is talented. I'm not doing, you know I'm not saying that. But there's obviously been more talented teams out there, and he's still won. I mean, there's a happy medium, I think, in some of the seasons. You'd have to look at all his seven Super Bowl rings or ten Super Bowl appearances, Mm -hmm. where he's either had a lot of talent or he's had kind of -of middle-of-the-pack talent. And still, I mean, it's like the guy is just always in the conversation of of postseason. His team is always in the conversation of being competitive and moving to the the playoffs, and eventually the Super Bowl. No one can win like Tom Brady wins. It's remarkable what he does, especially at this age. My goodness. Well, he's 43, and he's still winning like this. I wish he'd just quit. (laughs) I know. I know. I completely understand that. It's like, go away, dude. How many more are you going to win? Right. I think he's going to try to win one more, and then he's going to be out. I think you're right. Would Would you retire on the top? You win the Super Bowl? I'd be like, all right. Yeah. Sort of like the Peyton Manning way. Right. And I mean, this is the top of the top. Seven rings. And the next closest franchise is the Patriots with six. Come on, dude. What? Let's call it our day already. Mm-hmm. 
I'll give it to him. That's the type of competitive man he is. This is his life. This is what he does. He just wins football games. So that were our, that was our seven takeaways uh, from Super Bowl 55. Again, the most dominant front seven in the NFL, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Chiefs had no game plan for Gronk. You have to be better than that. Tom Brady played about the best that you can play, especially for his age in this game. Bruce Arians was the perfect coach for this team you know, to win the Super Bowl. It was the best fit that you could imagine. Also, the frustration the frustration, and the, the energy, the mindset of the Kansas City Chiefs was not there from kickoff. That was obvious. Uh, takeaway number six, I've seen worse halftime shows. I thought it was all right. I didn't think nothing bad of it. And then, of course, the seventh final takeaway that we just discussed. Nobody wins like Tom Brady wins. There's no one like him. Anything else you want to add, Will, to this discussion before we move on to the NFL season awards? Nope, just ready for the next season already. Yeah, I know. What are my Sundays going to be like? Off-season will be fun. NASCAR. Off-season will be, will be very fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go over the NFL season awards. Let's have some fun with this. Remember, because Will and I did our um, discussion, our predictions of who we think will win the awards. We were accurate on some of them. We were actually pretty good for the most part. Will was pretty good. Yeah, I was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, take your credit. <laughs> the Let's start here. Comeback player of the year, Alex Smith, Washington football team. I went Big Ben. You went Alex Smith. I said that I could see either one. Yeah, I was a toss-up on the two as well. Yep. So I guess they chose the injury over the, the play. Yeah. And I mean, all the credit to him. That was one of the most brutal injuries this league has ever seen. Oh, yeah. I get it. I understand it, but... You know, I just felt like Big Ben played two games last year mm-hmm. and started eleven and all and went into the playoffs. I, yeah, I, I'm not. I wouldn't be mad with either decision. So Alex Smith, comeback player of the year for the Washington Football Team, coach of the year Kevin Stefanski out of Cleveland. Will went. Will went. Matt Lafleur. I went. Sean McDermott for the Buffalo Bills. Both teams went thirteen and three in the regular season. Both teams got into their conference championships. And. I'm not a fan of this pick. You know, I, I'm not either. I think it's more so the Browns storyline that got him. Yeah. Because the Browns have been so bad. And he's done a great job there. I mean, I I understand it. He's done a phenomenal job. They lost Odell Beckham early in the year. But I just think Sean McDermott did a better job. I think Matt LaFleur did a better job than Kevin Stefanski. And I could see that argument. I think this is just more so the storyline playing into it that Kevin yeah. Stefanski won the... And they and the Browns played terribly the first the first three fourths yeah. of the season. I understand that it's a full season award, but like, I think a, I don't know. I just feel like like you got you got to be a good coach all year, not one fourth of the year. Yeah, and I think one of the factors that played into him winning and something we're not talking about just yet is the fact that they won that playoff game the way they did yeah. in in Pittsburgh in Steeler Country. Started twenty eight nothing. Won the game, went on to the when no one gave him a shot, especially because Kevin Stefanski had COVID protocols. He was in quarantine. He right. wasn't at the game. He had to watch it on TV. I get it. I mean, it was a great team effort all around by coaches, staff, players, by everyone. I understand that. But all season long, what Sean McDermott has done with the Buffalo Bills and how he's progressed Josh Allen is something that I don't think can be understated. Yeah. And and- I think it did with this coach of the year pick. And these are regular season awards, too, remind you. And it always makes you yep. wonder, does the postseason actually play into these awards? Because we, you know... That's a great we're point. We're told that it doesn't. Yep. But you, it kind of makes you think that they, it might. Yep. I I think we're both on the same page here. Yeah. This wasn't the best pick. 
I'm not that upset with it because he's done a good job in Cleveland, but I think there's better coaching jobs that have been done this season. Offensive player of the year, I went Devontae Adams just because of the season he had in Green Bay, the connection he had with Aaron Rodgers. I thought that was a good pick too. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not mad with this either. Derrick Henry did win it. That was Will's pick out of Tennessee. I mean, the guy was... It was nuts. He was an X factor. He was yeah. the definition of an X factor. If you shut him down, you beat the Buffalo Bills. He had that much of an impact. Titans. The, the Titans. Still thinking about <laughs> uh, Sean McDermott and Kevin Stefanski. Good call. If you shut Derrick Henry down, you beat the Titans. And it wasn't like, you know, if you shut Devontae Adams down, you beat the Packers. I mean, it, you kind of saw games where you shut him down and, mm-hmm. you know, gave the opponent a good chance to win. But, you know, Devontae still missed kind of a couple games of the season, which you could argue makes him that better of a pick for Offensive Player of the Year. Right. Because he still had the season he did. Didn't play a full 16 that, games. That could go both ways. Right. That could go like... He was, you know, they still won when he was injured. Yeah. I'm not sure what, what the Packers went when he was injured. Yep. I don't remember the up. exact uh, um, list of games it was either. Or but. it could be like, wow, he had crazy stats with 12 and a half games played. Yep. And, and you know, in the case of the award that uh, was picked to Derrick Henry, and I'm not mad with it either. I think it's a great pick. It, it's more so on the side of, the, you know, the Packers still were able to win with Devontae Adams. Whereas if you shut Derrick Henry down, mm-hmm. good luck winning. Right. Yep, I had uh, Derrick Henry in my. Oh no, I think that was Dalvin Cook in my MVP discussion. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yep, it was Dalvin Cook. All right, so never mind. Retract that statement. <laughs> Defensive Player of the Year. This is an interesting discussion. I went Aaron Donald just because I predicted he was going to win, mm-hmm. and he did win. Yep. Will Will McCormick went T.J. Watt, and there's a lot of beef being made. A ton of beef on Twitter about this, and yeah. T.J. Watt even says so too. He tweeted out about it. He's like, yep. I, "I took that personally," or something. Yep. Yeah, the, the MJ meme. Yeah. He's like, "And I took that personally." I I get it. T.J. Watt had a heck of a season, and I think he even missed a game too, didn't he? And he still had like more better stats than Aaron Donald. I think so. But here's the thing. Aaron Donald is like the cornerstone. Of this award. And I get it. You can make what you want about it. But I don't hate the pick. I don't hate it. I, I kind of figured it was going to go this way because it's Aaron Donald. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's just a monster. It's kind of the same thing we just mentioned with the Devontae Adams, Derrick Henry thing. If you shut Aaron Donald down, you're going to win the game. Right. And that's kind of what we saw when he got injured in the postseason there. But again, this is a regular season award. But I mean, the principle still stands that if you shut down Aaron Donald... You give your you give your team a good chance to win the game. I think I think the Steelers, their defense was phenomenal. Yep, phenomenal, like yep. really good defense. Um, and granted, so were the the Rams' defense was incredibly good too. But I think the fact that the Steelers kind of faded the last three games, last four games of the regular season, whatever it was, really hurt TJ. Yeah, I would agree. Because he wasn't able to bring that like game changing factor that a player of the year brings in. Um, even though his stats were better. And usually I'm the kind of guy that if stats are better, I'm like, that's the guy. I would agree. Uh, I, I'm not mad with it. I don't hate the Aaron Donald pick. A lot of people did, like I mentioned, like we mentioned. I mean, a lot of people thought TJ Watt should get it, and I could see that argument. I'm all for that argument. But, you know, I think the the right pick was made. Both both are really good players. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't hate it. This is another one where I wouldn't hate it where either guy won it. Right. Let's move to the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Will and I, neither one of us got this right. You said Jonathan Taylor, running back out of Indianapolis, and I kind of agreed with that. You know, 
The yeah. fact that he won out that job as a rookie right. against Marlon Mack, who had a great season last season and who was primed for another great season. Jonathan Taylor won that job out. And he probably wasn't the statistical best offensive rookie of the year. But... Right. And and that's kind of where I went. I went Justin Jefferson, wide receiver out of Minnesota. I thought he had a great, phenomenal season. I think if the Minnesota Vikings would have had a better year, I think he might have won that award if they had a better quarterback. If he got the ball a little more. He had games, he had flashes where he was unbelievable. And then he kind of go quiet the next couple weeks. I think that inconsistency really killed his campaign for this award. Who did win it? Justin Herbert out of Los Angeles for the Chargers. And I mentioned that, you know, he was kind of my honorable mention when we went through and picked. I, I still mm-hmm. mentioned Justin Herbert. So again, I don't hate this pick. I think it was great. 4,300 yards as a rookie. For the Chargers, a team, an organization that has not given their char- their their quarterbacks that much help. But regardless, I mean, he still had talent to work with. I'm not saying that. But here's the thing. Success-wise, the Chargers have not been the best. Justin Herbert just had this kind of a season. Again, 4,300 yards. He had 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, a, a quarterback rating of 98.3. He had this kind of a season in his rookie year when his head coach got fired. Mm-hmm. Right as the season concluded, that's pretty. That's a pretty good year. What kind of season would he have had? Would he have had if he was playing for Sean McDermott? Right. Who progressed Josh Allen so well? I mean, I think the potential to have even better of a season was there. So Justin Herbert, I certainly do not hate this pick. I think he's well deserved of this offensive rookie Plus, of the year. Did he start the full year? It was Maybe. week one that where Tyrod out. Taylor oh, had right. that shot in his lung that's right. and it actually punctured his lung or something like that. Ah. And so mm. he couldn't go. Yeah. <clears throat> All these needles and lungs and whatever. Congratulations, Justin Herbert. Let's stop talking about that. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young out of the Washington football team. We both said Chase Young. I mean, what, what, can, you, what can be said about it? Right. The guy is a dominant factor. The guy is a leader who earned his way to becoming a captain for the Washington football team midseason. I think he was well-deserved of this award. award. And, you know, I I don't think there's much of an argument for anyone else. Yeah, I really wouldn't know who to put up there. Like, yeah. did Patrick Queen have that good of a year? I don't, I don't think he, he did. He led uh, rookie defensive players in tackles, rookie tackles, I think, halfway through the season. I don't know if that stayed consistent throughout the second half. But I don't But know. I mean, like, Chase Young was just dominant. Yeah. You I, know, I, just dominant. Yeah, Patrick Queen wasn't... Uh, as, as like, game change. I wouldn't yeah. say game changing, but... He wasn't but... that much of a household name either right. as Chase Young was. Right. And Chase Young is really primed to have a spectacular career. I, I look forward to what he does in the future. Mm-hmm. MVP, you and I said Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers did win it. Yes, sir. Rightfully so. Yep. I, unbelievable. We talk about Tom Brady winning a, another Super Bowl at 43. How about Aaron Rodgers winning a third MVP at 37? Mm-hmm. Oh, my it was goodness. Almost a, it, was, it was a landslide yeah. victory, too. It was like he got 44 votes. Um, four went to Josh Allen, two to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. It was almost almost unanimous. I want to know who voted Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> who thought he had a better year? Um, Here's the those, thing. Those are probably the people that vote postseason. Yeah. Could be. And... <laughs> Anyways, I mean, we don't know if they actually do. But here's the th- yeah, pure speculation. But here's the thing: regardless of what uh, of if it was unanimous or not, Aaron Rodgers at 37, 70.7 completion percentage on the year, 
4,300 passing yards. The same as Justin Herbert, by the way. Justin Herbert actually had more passing yards by about 37 yards. 48 touchdowns, 5 picks. The touchdown-to-interception ratio for Aaron Rodgers has always been nuts. Always. Mm -hmm. And it was especially this season, 48 touch, 48 touchdowns. Green Bay Packard record and 5 picks. And a season quarterback rating of 121.5. Wow. The year he had at his age, deserving of the MVP award. Mm Mm-hmm. Deserving. That's that's now three or no, sorry, not three. That's two back to back three time MVP winners for the Packers organization, by yep. the way. And still just two Super Bowls. That's okay. Yeah, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's six MVPs. Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. That's pretty good. Aaron Rodgers is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Should be. Oh, will be. Will be. That's I mean, no should question. be already. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so there, there's your season award winners. Well, you know, we were fairly accurate. Me a little bit more than you, but yeah, I mean, who's, well, who's keeping score? You, yeah, uh, you are. Okay, <laughs> rightfully so. I would be too if I was in your shoes. But there it is: the NFL season award winners. Also on Saturday, that were announced the NFL Hall of Fame inductees going into this season. I'm going to go over uh, the Hall of Fame inductee, their position, the teams they played for, the years they played, and how many Super Bowls they won. I don't remember watching all of these guys play. Yeah, you know. Alan Feneca, the, the the guy who will lead off the list, we'll talk about in a second here, played guard from 98 to 2010. Will and I weren't even 10 years old when he had his career. Tom Flores coached in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You remember seeing that? No, me neither. So I don't remember watching all these guys play just because of sheer age, but I do want to say that after looking at their numbers, doing research on these guys, they are all deserving of going into the Hall of Fame. Maybe our buddy Jason Fonder could give us a little bit better of an insight into who these guys were. Remember when we talked about the Hall of Fame nominees mm-hmm. back at our th- our Thanksgiving show? Yeah, and he said something that kind of rubbed me off in that on that conversation in a good way was that he was like, it's cool for us because now we're going to see guys that we know. Yep. That we yeah. remember, or at least we remember watch playing. Yep. We, I know some of these guys, but I didn't get to see them play. Some of these guys I, get, I did get to see play, and I feel blessed to be able to see that. We're kind of turning the page into seeing guys going to the Hall of Fame that were we remember seeing, remember watching play, but we didn't see the start of their careers yet. That's, mm-hmm. that's I think, the difference. Mm-hmm. So um, let's get into it. Alan Feneca, right off the bat, guard, spent most of his career um, in the AFC, Pittsburgh, the Jets. He spent a couple seasons in Arizona as well. 98 to 2010 is when he played. He's a one-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2006. Congratulations, Alan Feneca. Next guy, Tom Flores. Remember the quarter, the uh, quarterback. Remember the commercials where Alan Feneca is kind of like the cool guy sitting on the, the lawn chair, or not Alan Feneca. Tom Flores is a cool guy sitting on the lawn chair, kind of keeping quiet, kind of just. He was a coach, Oakland and L.A. Raiders, also the Seahawks from 1979 to 1994. Two-time Super Bowl champion with the Raiders. 1980 and 1983, he won one in Oakland with the Raiders, won one in L.A. with the Raiders. I just thought that was kind of cool looking up his stats. Very famous household name up next, Calvin Johnson, wide receiver, Detroit Lions 2007 to 2015. Man, the career he could have had if he continued to play. Only retired after nine seasons. Man. I I think... Just dominant he was in the first nine seasons. Yeah, it's 
I would have liked to have seen him play out his career. Yeah, I agree. Um, Who wouldn't? His stats were nuts for the time that the amount of time he played. Yeah, the records he broke in nine years. Right. Oh, like he's breaking career records in nine seasons. Right. And it, do you think that career records or um, not career records? He broke a lot of season records, correct? A lot yeah. of um but he's not a career record breaker in a lot of aspects of receiving because he didn't play for a period a long period of time. Sure. Do you think that's more important? Like receiving yards, I believe he's ranked thirty second all time receiving yards. Like, is that important? Like does that I get, take I get away? what you're saying. Here's what I think. Before I lose this thought in my head here, I want to pounce on this. I think it's more important the impact a player had on the game in this case. I mean, if you take someone who's set the record for most receiving yards and most receiving touchdowns in a career, obviously that's a Hall of Famer. But someone who had the impact of Calvin Johnson who could you needed you needed to triple cover the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was so impactful on the game and for the numbers he was able to put up in an organization that couldn't do much for him, that didn't and couldn't do much for him in the Detroit Lions, the career he had, well deserving of a gold jacket in Canton, Ohio the NFL Hall of Fame. Right, and you can't expect him to be leading those numbers in for nine a short seasons, career. No, you can't right. expect like, that. It's almost kind of crazy that in ninth season he's 32nd ranked in Correct. receiving yards and 23rd in receiving touchdowns. Like yeah. that's would have I would have liked to seen his numbers. I agree. But that's okay. All right. Moving on down the list, John Lynch, safety for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Denver Broncos from 1993 to 2007. I know this guy was pretty dominant in his mm-hmm. day. A one-time Super Bowl champion with the Bucks in 2003 under John Gruden over the Oakland Raiders. Well-deserving of he- heading into Canton and doing great things. Remember, he is the GM over in San Francisco for the 49ers. So, a very good football mind. Remember, he was an analyst as well for Fox Sports. You could tell he just had that football mind before he took the job in San Francisco. So, a guy well-deserving of a gold jacket in Canton. How about this next guy in the list here, Will? You ever heard of this cat, Peyton Manning? I don't know if I have. No? I don't. I don't yeah, I had to do he, some research on it when I saw this name. He wasn't from our era. No, no, no not at all. <laughs> Played 1998 to 2015 with the Indianapolis Colts and Denver Broncos. Won a Super Bowl in 05 with the Colts over the Bears. Won a Super Bowl in the 2015-16 seasons. That was Super Bowl 50 over the Carolina Panthers. And rode off into the sunset on that note, so... I mean, well-deserving of, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the career numbers he put up as well. Yeah. Well-deserving of a multiple-time MVP as well. All-time great. Yep. No surprise he is a Hall of Famer here. Bill Nunn. Now we're getting into some names that Will and I haven't heard of so much. Bill Nunn, who is a scout and executive with the Steelers, part-time and full-time from the late 60s till about pretty much his whole life, the, the late 20, the early 2010s, the mid-2010s. Mm-hmm. He was a six-time Super Bowl champion. 1975, 76, 79, 80. 2006, 2009, he lost two Super Bowls as well in 96 and 2011. What a career. Yeah. Six Super Bowl rings as an executive. Some of that was part-time. Some of it was full-time. Nonetheless, the guy... Uh, He's got six rings. Very, yeah, very keen at, <laughs> at building winning teams. Yeah. How about that, Bill Nunn? Drew Pearson, another guy that Will and I might not remember, wide receiver with the Cowboys from 73 to 83, a one-time Super Bowl champion in 1978. And then the last name on this list. You ever heard of this guy, Will? I think I have. 
Charles Woodson, defensive back for the Oakland Raiders, Green Bay Packers, and then ended his career in Oakland as well. From 1998 to 2015, he played, won a Super Bowl in Green Bay in the 2010-2011 season, and was the 2009 Defensive Player of the Year. He's often regarded to as the best player that Aaron Rodgers has got the chance to play with. Yep. He mentions that at numerous occasions, and I yep. think he brought up that Devontae should be in that discussion too, but that's... Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, regardless, the guy is of, one of the best defensive player Aaron's Right, measure of with. Charles' uh, ability to, to play the game is... Won a Heisman as well mm-hmm. in 98 yep. for Michigan, or, or 97 maybe. Whatever those years folded right, over when he right. got drafted. So he was also a Heisman winner as well. Very mm-hmm. deserving, all of these okay. guys on this list as the NFL Hall of Fame inductees. Mm-hmm. Ones that Will and I have memories of, of course, Charles Woodson, yep. Peyton Manning, Calvin Johnson, maybe even a little John Lynch. Mm. Yeah. Maybe eh, a little bit. No, eh, a little. Regardless, because of our age, you know. Right. Regardless, everyone on this list, well-deserved of Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. That'll do it. Great show, great discussions that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do it again on Thursday. What do you think? I'm looking forward to that uh, yeah. quarterback movement discussion. That'll be yep. fun. And maybe quarterback even shuffle, talking about... Uh, officiating. Officiating. Yep. That'll be fun. Did you ever officiate games? like? I umpired a tournament for... Um, Baseball? Yeah, they were like 12, 13-year-olds. That's tough. It was the most intense thing I think I've ever done in my it's life. It's nerve-wracking. Yeah. I made good money doing it, but I said oh, I'd yeah. never do it again. It's like, it is it is stressful. I give referees props because, man, it's hard to see. It is hard. Yeah, like things happen so fast, and it's like it's so easy to like miss because you have to watch so much. Everything. Yeah. It, that is brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, especially if you're behind the plate. Oh, yeah. Every pitch, you have to make a call. I, I refereed, Every single play. I refereed soccer, and that's always tough to watch, too, because oh, yeah. you have to watch for every everything. Yeah. yeah. I have, I got an opportunity from the athletic director at my high school. I went back and met him after I graduated. You know, just talk mm-hmm. after I visited some teachers, visited with him as well. He said, hey, if you're ever down to come officiate some high school basketball or JV basketball, let me know. I never, I never got back to him on that because I was like, nope, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, I don't want, to, especially parents, in basketball. Parents can be ruthless. Dude. Oh my gosh, chill out, your ruthless. kid's twelve years old on a baseball diamond. What? Right. Get off my back. <laughs> no. Yeah. So now imagine being a referee of adults oh. with the whole world watching. Oh boy, and everyone's adult is. So f- we'll, we'll the ridicule them screaming. next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about. It. I look forward to that discussion we'll have. That'll do it for this discussion, this version of the Tony G Show. That concludes the ninetieth episode. The Tony G Show. Yep. Moving right on down the line. I look forward to it. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you Thursday. This is the Tony G Show.